0: The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. Welcome back to Flourish and Fulfilled. Now, today's guest is actually a requested one that I've had quite a few requests for. He is my meditation coach, Genoa. Now, I want to fill you guys in a little bit more in regards to how we actually connected. And even though we grew up and went to the same school, we actually hadn't met for many, 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 many years. And the story is quite a funny one. So Genoa runs a group or business called Momentum and I was doing some work online with the boys and I went down to my mum's house in Adelaide and I was in quarantine for 14 days and my mum lives on like 80 acres, like a big property and there's no houses around at all and there's one neighbouring property that has a house on it and anyway, it's a long story but <laughs> one, one day I was on the phone to Genoa and I was like, hey, where are you? And he was like, I'm at Selix. And I was like go outside. And he was like, oh, why? And I was like, just do it. Just do it. Turns out we were both quarantining at the exact same time in the exact same place. So we're about a hundred meters away from each other during lockdown, which was the most perfect time to be able to connect and do my meditation course and get to know each other on such a deeper level, which was awesome for us last year. So welcome to Flourish and Fulfilled
1: (laughs) with that, with that intro. Oh, it's going to be
0: fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> now, a lot of people did actually request you because I have um, spoke to you online and done heaps of lives with you in regards to meditation and how mm-hmm. much it kind of changed my life and opened me up. And so I want to go a little bit deeper in regards to that, what you're doing, what meditation is and how you kind of found your way there.
1: Beautiful.
0: But before we get started, <laughs> we're going to do some fire questions. So don't cheat. He's uh, looking I'm over gonna, at I'm my gonna, paper. Uh, uh, all right. Now, the fire questions, you kind of just have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Mhm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, there's some there's some very normal ones, but it kind of just helps the audience get to know you a little bit.
1: Yeah. Favorite food. Asian, Japanese. No, Japanese. It's Japanese specific. yep.
0: Alter ego name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go with an old nickname which when I was younger, which was Porno. What, uh,
0: shall we go further into that? <laughs> why, we, why, we, why was it
1: Porno? It was just, It was just. I was hanging out with older guys and they decided because I dressed one day like they watched the night before it was quite funny
0: <laughs> all right we'll leave that there <laughs> sunrise or sunset
1: I'd see more sunsets than sunrises yeah. sunset mm-hmm.
0: final answer yes okay stick with it favorite swear word
1: I say fuck when it in between breaths
0: <laughs> what is your weird quirk
1: so I used to it's actually softened a lot now but I used to like flick my ears and like fold my ear in like this and then flick it out
0: it's actually quite thin there. Do you <laughs> yeah, reckon that's from doing yeah. that?
1: It would have been because I did it so much as a kid and I could like fold my ear in and I could like do this and flick it out. And so now they're quite soft. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking totally back on that quirk.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: What's your hidden talent? <laughs> <laughs> Flicking my ears. <laughs> that would <was> actually be <laughs> my hidden talent. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, cool. I, yeah, know, I was I mean, thought I mean, you were like,
1: joking. No, I was asked once before and there's nothing else hidden. Exciting about me talent wise. Mm, okay. I think about something better.
0: What is your most used emoji?
1: <laughs> It'd be either the shuckers, the or um, actually, I actually throw the little love heart eyes out a little bit. You know? Do you? Uh, yep,
0: okay. Yep, yep, yep. A little romantic. Or a
1: wink. Actually, I'm a bit of a winker too.
0: Or a smirk face. No,
1: no never smirk not, face. Okay,
0: all right. What's the worst word in the English dictionary? Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is it um, saying like moist is a bit of a weird one. Just doesn't sound. Everybody says that. Yeah, it's
0: just, uh, I don't know. I quite like it.
1: You
0: know? <laughs> but I think it's because of my banana bread. Like my whole marketing is around the word moist for the banana bread because yeah. there's no other word to describe how a banana bread should be. Moist. do you think? Okay, you tell me.
1: I have to think about that, but moist <laughs> would not come to mind. Really? No.
0: Okay. Would you rather have Dix's fingers <laughs> or a dick as a nose? Segway.
1: Standard question. <laughs> Oh uh, f- well, fingers. Why? Well, so you can, can finger ten chicks it. at once. Well, that that you know you could, but also uh, you can't hide it on your nose. At least with your hands, you could maybe put in some gloves. Or you really thought about that? Yeah. Did <laughs> <laughs> it get in the way? What's
0: the best dream that you've ever had?
1: <laughs> There's been a couple of belter sex dreams where I was, you know, did a really good show. <laughs>
0: It was a dream though, guys. It wasn't reality. He woke up. What's the best, oh, sorry. What's the most out there experience that you've ever had? Oh, I know this one. (laughs) (laughs) This is so good. This is a goodie. This is a real goodie. So for those of you that have listened to most of my episodes, I had Carlin on who was my Yoni mapping exercise. Mm.
1: So what's your most out there experience? Right, so I suppose I know you're leading me. Is <laughs> the, the the male version of that, which is called a lingam. Yeah. And a lingam massage is similar. So I remember I, I went in and it was a lady in her 50s or whatever and she sat there and she starts feeding me strawberries. <laughs> she does talks, not. But it was like she tried to get me relaxed and then the first like hour we started you talking. You
0: didn't actually tell me that.
1: Oh, yeah, it was, you know, part of the whole – because part of it was around like me getting into my body and that kind of thing and – um we're just talking a lot about sexual energy and that kind of stuff. And then the next phase is like, okay, so you, you obviously want to do body work. I'm like, let's go. Like, I'm pretty open. I'll try most things, almost anything, almost <laughs> once. And I'm like, let's, let's go. And so <laughs> went in there and I lie on my back. And the first time she gives me a massage, you know, oily massage. She goes, when you're ready, just um, roll over. And then the, the lingam started, but it wasn't like a – it wasn't an overly sexual thing for me, like even to the point where I, at that time I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to blow, I don't want to come. So that was the thing as well. It was just like a massage and then back and also about circulating energy through my body as opposed to just getting a load off, which is not what it was about. So it was.
0: Yeah. So it's similar to like a yoni mapping in yeah. regards to it not being about just getting off. Yep. Do people get off during a like, length,
1: Liam? Yeah, yeah. Often. Like you can, like it's, you, you choose what you want to do with it and also what your intention is to get out of it. So for me it was around practising the ability to circulate energy and control and, and, and um, not have that as an end goal, I suppose. Yeah, and, cool. And also uh, obviously we store a lot of energy and, and trauma in our hips in those areas, so it was something I'd never really worked on before. Um
0: and I know that we had coffee before this episode and we were talking in regards to like mood changing and mm. stuff and changing like your nightly routine yep. and that that was a massive thing in regards to how you shifted mood.
1: Yeah, so I also practice um – Gone through phases where I've practiced like having, I know, <laughs> having, this, a, I know yeah, this. Having, having a wank without without blowing. How um, long?
0: It was he was trying to get to thirty days, and I think he made it to like twenty five and oh. kept blowing. <laughs> and he'd wake up <laughs> and have like a wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I mean, the funny thing was I remember I was like I'm gonna get to thirty days, and I got to like it was like 21, 25 <laughs> and because the idea is you're still meant to like have a have a wank, but then practice not having that as an end goal because also yeah. shifts how you totally relate. And engage your sex as well, right? Um, and help you last longer and more we'll control that kind of stuff. So that was my intention. I remember once I was just I got too close and I was <laughs> like, "Shit, <laughs> it's like, go back no! in." <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go back and start again in another thirty days.
0: This- this is off-topic. Well, everything we're talking about is off-topic. But I remember asking you your first experience of coming, like what your first masturbation experience was, and you being like,
1: oh, what's coming out? Like, <laughs> what is it? Like pointed to the floor quickly. It's so good. And then I was having showers every 10 minutes for the next few months.
0: All right, I'm going to move on to the next question, but that's so great, and I love that you had the had that experience because everybody hadn't heard about a Yoni mapping experience. Mm. Um, Exercise, And I know that I think it was actually you boys that got me. Would have been. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Love that for me. Um, Hold on. Sorry. One more point on that is that Carlin always actually talks about having one sexual experience a month with your partner where you don't orgasm Mm -hmm. so that mentally your mind stops associating the end goal and trying to reach that with that experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, really powerful as well if you do have a partner. Agreed. What is your first ever memory? Oh,
1: my first ever memory was around, I grew up in like Port Wollonga, which obviously you'd know, was just being on the beach. Like apparently I spent almost every day with my border collie cross dog. So when I was one, he was one, that was my present. And we'd just down at the beach and I'll, I'll just be hanging out at the beach. And then as I got a bit older, <laughs> I would go to the beach with my grandma and we'd collect shells and make earrings out of them. you got a lot of
0: ear ear stuff happening. (laughs) Everyone's probably listening to this being like, what do his ears look like? And he has a beanie on, so. See, they're fine
1: ears. They're fine. Fine ears. Mm.
0: Uh, What is the last thing that you think of before you go to sleep? Mm.
1: Well, I often, like, fantasise about, like, where my business and my life is going. So often that's what I'll do when I lie in bed. I'll sort of lie there and just, uh, unless I've just, been reading and I'll sort of probably go into what I was just reading about, but often I'll sit there and, um, and fantasize or plan about where I'm heading with my life and business, which is kind of fun.
0: It, it almost sets you up to have dreams in that regard though. Mm. Hey, like lucid dreaming.
1: But I don't remember many of my dreams. Don't you? No, like, like one in every few months or something like that. Like I just don't tend to do that.
0: Have you ever tried having a dream journal or waking no, up and trying to?
1: I haven't intentionally tried to do that and remember, recall Um, but yeah, it's not very common for me at all. I haven't looked into why or why not either, uh, for for me to remember them.
0: You try and catch yourself in the end of the dream to be able to track it, but dreams are so powerful. Like I love dreams, as you know. Uh, all right. What is your biggest passion in life?
1: Right now it's around having like it's, it's impact for me.
0: Yeah. You do that really well as well. You change the lives of a lot of people. Thanks. What is your favourite quote?
1: <laughs> Probably one that I use a bit also when I talk to people is, and I kind of butcher it because i not, not exactly, but the two most important days of your life are the, one, the, the day you are born and the day that you find out why by Mark Twain. And Because that like fires me up because it's like we're all here to be something more than just this existence mm. and when you realise that, No matter what, it doesn't have to be huge either. It can be something so simple like making people smile or whatever. It gives you something else to to work for and gives you a level of meaning. So that one actually really fires me up and I find it quite inspiring to go, okay, you know, what the fuck am I here to do? Yeah. Um, And I think everyone should have that um, thought process like, okay, what am I here to do beyond just the day-to-day?
0: Yeah, which is such a good lead into how you became a meditation coach because you're not stereotypically a meditation coach to look at. Like if I saw you in the street, I would not (laughs) think you were. And even knowing you, I'm just like, you are so not woo-woo. Well, you are actually. You're pretty woo-woo. You are. I'm open, yeah. Yeah, you're open to almost anything. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Well aware. (laughs) Um, So in regards to becoming a meditation coach, and you actually taught me Vedic meditation and we did – how many days was it? Four or five, five, it
1: was, three? It was three in a row and then little follow-ups.
0: Yeah, cool. So how did you get to that point? Can you tell us like start to finish from school? Like what were you like at school? Football jock? Yes. See, I know your story.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just leave me into it. righty. So primary school, Wollonga Primary, which is where we would have been, would have crossed paths.
0: Mm-hmm. I uh, went to school with Genoa's brother.
1: Yeah, little mm. brother. That's so funny, isn't it? Mm. Um, so in primary school... I was one of the uncool kids. so I was picked on. I was made to feel very much like an outsider and it was it was simple things. Like I was quite a soft, naturally quite a soft kid. Obviously I was a bit browner, had a weird name, do you know? I was obviously a bit unusual in a you know smaller country town. And I also never really like standing out for myself it wasn't something I really knew how to do. And yes, yeah, so I was I was pretty much picked on, I was bullied, picked on. I didn't realise Till afterwards, Mum used to say to me, "She goes, I used to come home from school and just dread. I'd like walk up to the car, keep it together, and then like hop in the car and just burst into tears. And I was like, that must be heartbreak. Like for mm. me, obviously, I've you know worked through it and probably repressed a lot of it. But uh, for her as a mum, seeing that, I'm like that'd have been heartbreaking. Yeah, mum. Was like, I know. And that obviously led to a a lack of confidence and worth in myself, just for who I was as a human being. And then I moved, obviously, went to high school and things started to shift because I, I grew a little bit and I became very good at sports and I went from being the bottom of the school to suddenly I was like, you know, the school sports captain and then I was captain of the sc- the, full, the school footy team and I was, you know, really fast and, and quite fit and then also I started to be able to attract girls and so suddenly I went from being the bottom of the rung to part of the cool and the top group purely based on Girls and my ability with sports, and so that there taught me how to develop, valid- how to get validation. That's what it was about, right? Mm-hmm. And that was what my worth was based around. And what also developed tied into that. I didn't realize I had anxiety. I only realized it in the last five odd years that what I was experiencing was anxiety. And I would actually because. I was so attached to needing to perform well at sport and so attached to needing to do well with girls. The two things that, co- like, I would almost want to, I'd vomit. Before dates, I've almost vomited before. I've like walked in and be like, oh, keep it together, keep it together. Because I was so anxious about, you know, it not playing out the way it, I needed it to, to play out. And same with, I mean, there's a level of nerves that you get with sport anyway, but it was heavy for me. I'd even to the point of in like races because I was – I think I was probably the fastest in the school at the time and, and because I had the such pressure on myself to maintain mm. this being the, the fast the fast guy and good at things, I'd actually sometimes almost try to like miss the start call because I was so anxious about what that if I didn't win. sabotage yeah. So I'd almost like be off somewhere and hope that I would miss it. Yeah. And that's how bad it got. So I held myself back from so many situations and almost sabotaged myself out of the fear of me not showing up to uh, the level that I wanted to because that was what put me into the, the top ranks, rung and, yeah, and, yeah. and suddenly became respected and accepted. And so that also developed a pretty unhealthy relationship with, um, you know, how I viewed, interacted with women and and even then around, you know, the guys and that kind of stuff. And then when I finished like high school and stopped playing professional sport. I've sort of, when I was younger, I was like, I want to become a professional footy player. AFL was my sport, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, you know what, maybe not. And I sort of left that, traveling, came back. And then what was I then? And this is when I started then. Because also at the time, um, drinking obviously helps with the level of anxiety and confidence. And so I started, I was drinking and partying. And then I, I was the party guy. So my identity was Genoa or Joe was my nickname back then, was the party guy. Mm. And so that was a big part of, that was a Your big identity. chunk of my life. Yeah. I was, and I was loose, like, and I could, I could go for a long time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, um, and then Genoa was also managing for those listeners mm. that are, <laughs> and then for those listeners that are from Adelaide, which I know we've actually got quite a big demographic of girls, cause obviously I'm from Adelaide that. A lot of people come from Adelaide to listen. He was managing the Lion and this was back when, I'm not sure if it's still the trendy place, is it? Nah.
1: Nah. So he was
0: managing the Lion. So then that just fueled also to his drinking, girls, partying and also that sense of power too.
1: Yep. So I was, what was I when I was managing the bar? I would have been like 23 or something. So that's quite young and I was managing uh, – bar, which is quite a high profile bar Mm. at that time. And we'd have massive lineups, a lot of people in the venue. And I would be the one at the door deciding who comes in, who comes out, managing all the bar staff, you know, security and have some heavy stuff on as well there. Mm. And so there was also a level of like, I could stop whoever I wanted to. Mm. And also in that scene, drugs at my fingertips. So obviously that was a big part of my lifestyle as well. I'd finish work, we'd go out and party for however long and then straight back into work and... It was, a uh, like fun, mm. but also destructive, um, period of my life. And also the way like, I was very ego driven then. And, and you ask my parents and, and close friends, you know, I, I shifted as I changed as a human being and I was very, very close minded to other people's views, anyone challenging me, uh, anything spiritual. Go fuck yourself. Too woo-woo. Yeah, girl, Too was, woo-woo no for way. me. Because <laughs> my dad, as you know, is quite a spiritual guy. Yeah, he's beautiful. He's amazing, but I wasn't open to that at I all.
0: still have my crystal in my bed. Good, good. <laughs> he built me this custom one. It's got a little unicorn and dolphin in yeah, it.
1: Like, yeah, Yeah, He's brilliant. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that was that period of life. And it was something I, I look back and I was I'm like, oh, I you know, wasted a lot of time. But it was also part of what I had to go through and it's part of the, the toolkit now of how I work with people and teach them a level of understanding of, of how you can operate in, in, that way, uh, both for men, uh, and then obviously seeing, I've worked a lot with women as well. And so that was a, a period of my life that was, um, quite interesting. And then the slow trend, cause I'd studied a degree and I didn't really use it. And then I went back into hospo and I was like, is this my thing? And I kind of was like, you know what, this isn't. I like, you know, you had that feeling in the back of your mind. You're like, I know there's something more for me.
0: Yeah, you just haven't found. I it always yet. had this
1: idea that I meant to do something big. Mm. Always, I'm like, I'm not fucking here to play small. But for me at that time, big was
0: big you know, was getting fucked up, slaying chicks, and doing drugs. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> so that was my that was my that was my big goals. <laughs> <laughs> what a legend. <laughs>
0: And it's interesting here because your pivotal turning point and the guy who introduced you to meditation didn't do it in a way that was forceful or trying to change your opinion. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I went back and studied a master's and I had this point where I was like, I need to get out of this industry because I don't think it is for me. And Mm. I actually spent a year just as a tradie, just landscaping in Adelaide. And it was... Waking up at, you know, 6am, like hard labour all day, I'd come home from work, eat big dinner and go to bed. And I was like, it was one of the best things I did. And so, and then I was studying and I finished my degree and moved to Sydney. And so that was like a transition. I was like, Sydney high life. And the first year I was in Sydney, I was a suit. So I literally, I was living in Paddington which is the first place everyone from Adelaide moves to, Canada, <laughs> <laughs> <Or Bondi. laughs> which is where I evolved to after that big jump. And then, um, so I spent time in, in, in Paddington. I remember like I get up in the morning, put on my suit, <laughs> walk to the bus stop, catch the bus to, to North city where my big high rise office was. I'd read the newspaper on, my, on the bus on the way to work. Fitting to, in. Yep. Yeah, get to work, <laughs> sit at my desk, have my music at my desk, behind a computer all day make sure i got there a bit early to make sure the boss saw me make sure i left a bit later so it looked like i was there hustling and i'd go get hammered all weekend and that repeat. was my that was my repeat and again i was not satisfied i was literally fueled by the weekend still mm. and that that I was still very much the party the party guy and still also unsatisfied and still at that stage pretty close-minded in terms of other modalities or i'd never tried anything really like
0: Sorry, which I'll point out here is incredibly um, not strange because Genoa's family is very spiritual and very into alternate medicine. So it is a complete different lifestyle that you were living.
1: Well, so dad was like full. I remember once coming home and there was like a a dead crow or (laughs) feathers on the porch. I was like, why the fuck is there a dead crow? It's like, oh, something with indigenous dream time. And I was like, get it out. I was not okay with this. (laughs) <laughs> but that's He's so what I was Oh, she's so good. Mum was Mum was always like she was not. So she was a lot more she her and I were a lot more we like the finer things in life, you know? She have a nice drink and whatever and so she never she was never into that kind of stuff. And we kind of would joke about it, saying, Oh, dad's fucking lost it, blah blah, blah. and but that was just how he how he was. But also part of that was, which is really interesting, I remember thinking and wishing that my, when I was younger, that my dad was more like the other dads. Mm. And Same. you know what that meant? Mm. I wish it was at the pub drinking beer. Mm. That was what I thought mm. a man was. Mm. Not not an emotionally intelligent, open-minded um, dad who really cared about a relationship. He could talk about anything. And can Isn't it amazing what you yeah. thought? And I was like, I wish you would be more like that. And mm-hmm. I used to love if you would go to the pub and drink a few beers like, yeah, mm. my dad's a man like the other dads, you mm. know, and go to the footy and that kind of stuff. It was just amazing what I thought it should look like. Mm. And because he wasn't, Actually, there was a level separation between him and I, mm. and I didn't fully accept him, mm. and and so that was that was also I think part of the resistance to this in the spiritual world, I, I suppose, and and what else there is out there. And <clears throat> after all, he got to let it go, he was just like, you know, I'm not going to push him into anything, and so I kind of naturally found my own way there. I left Adelaide, you know, went to to Sydney, and after my year as a suit, realizing that wasn't for me. I ended up, um, going to work for my old boss. So a guy called Toby, who used to the GM of the line, he started his own alcohol company. So it was called the hill cider company, the Adelaide Hills distillery and Mismatch brewery with the three brands. And he's like, look, I'm launching this company at the time it was the hill cider. It's like, do you want to come on as my new South Wales state manager and grow that for me? And I was like, let's do it. And so. I then jumped and started working with, with him and trying to build that brand uh, with, with him. And I was with them for a total of seven years from pretty much the beginning till um, a few years ago when I left. And the, back to how you, you, know, you question how I actually got into meditation was always inkling a little voice in the back of my mind saying, there's something more for you, blah, blah, blah. And one of my first clients, they owned like a cafe, restaurant, bar in, in Sydney. And I remember speaking to, to Greg, who was the owner and the head chef and he was just a normal guy and he was in his sixties and he was a bit of a like known as a hard ass chef as well. So he, he was a surfer and whatever, and he was quite successful and, and I respected him and we'd catch up and have a coffee, you know, and talk about life and everything every couple of weeks. And I remember one time it was like, oh, you know, he said, oh, you know, Jackie, my daughter, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, cause I worked with her as well. She's like, oh, he, she's become a meditation teacher. And I was like, Oh. It's like, and, I've, and I learned, and he goes, mate, I wish I'd learned this when I was younger. Mm. And I was like, what? This guy that was a guy, normal, in my mind, mm-hmm. a bit of a hard-ass, successful businessman, said this, and that kind of, for me, was a moment of like, and that's was he said, it wasn't like, you should do this. It was like, yeah. bro, like, there is something in this. Mm-hmm. And Jackie also, I highly respected. She was a, like, ball-breaking businesswoman. mm mm-hmm. PR company, like stuff going on, she didn't muck around. And so I was like, ooh, these people are creative and productive and they still drank and ate meat <laughs> and didn't wear robes. And there was, from what I could see, no real cult behavior going on. And so I was like, right, Remember, there's something in this. Yeah. And that was also my first sort of foray into podcasts back in the day. Oh. <laughs> Tim Ferriss, I was smashing Tim Ferriss and there was a theme in all high – because he was – obviously, if, in case you haven't heard of t- Tim Ferriss, he would interview high performers in any field, whether it's like a big wave surfer or someone in finance or an entrepreneur or in politics or, you know, heavy weight lift or whatever it was, and he would dissect how they operate. Yeah, And there were just common themes always. And
0: meditation was always one yeah, of
1: them. Meditation, mindfulness, there was something in their morning routine, and I was like, right, so – I'm seeing something here that it's not just about this monk sitting on a, on a you know mountain, holding hands in robes, losing your edge and clearing your mind, because that's what I thought it was all about, right? Mm. And I was like, well, there's no one. Cl- what goes on in my mind? You know, <laughs> no <laughs> one wants
0: to see. <laughs>
1: I hear that every day from people. And it's, yeah. Too, I was like, no one's clearing what's going on in here. Like, there's yeah. no chance. <laughs> and and so yeah. that was a big moment for me of like, huh, mm. do I look into this a bit more? And I did, and I was like, you know what? Because I trusted Greg and Jack and I was like, bugger, I'm in. And so I remember going along to do my Vedic meditation course and through the full Vedic course, which you would have experienced – you know, there's a little mini ceremony at the beginning and... and
0: it was so beautiful that I cried. Like Genoa yeah. sung to me. I was getting serenaded with flowers.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. so you bring, you to bring fruits and flowers along. Yeah. And I did a little ceremony. It's only about five minutes and it's in Sanskrit so you don't understand what I'm saying. But, you know, the dulcet tones of my voice. <laughs> yeah.
0: It actually was so beautiful. Like yeah. I wish we could record it and then play it back, but it's sacred.
1: Yeah, it was just something we just do in person Um you know, in that scenario, as opposed to something we record, uh, and, and I remember standing outside, it was in Paddington was where her office was, where she, where she taught. And I was standing at the front and I was holding my fruits and my flowers. I'm like, fuck, if any of my mates see me, like, what am I, <laughs> what are they going to think? I'll be like, oh, I was on a date with some flowers. <laughs> um, and she
0: likes pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she likes
1: pineapple and oranges and mangoes. Yeah, it was funny. And so I went in and I and I learned. And it was, a, it was an investment as well. Like at that time, I paid it was 1200 for the for the course. And I'd never invested in myself in that way. Yeah. I was happy to drop, you know, to drop, you know, 600 bucks or a grand on a night on bags and booze. But <laughs> investing that much on myself was a big question. It's amazing the mentality I had there. and um And so... I learnt and A, because it was an investment and and B, because I'd seen firsthand from who I respected the change in people from sticking to this practice, I was like, I'm sticking to it.
0: Why did you choose Vedic meditation? Like there's so many mm. different types of meditation out there and I know that a couple of weeks ago I interviewed um, – oh, she's so beautiful. She, d- she lives a low waste life with kids. Um, everything that like they kind of consume is low waste, and mm. she does meditation. And when I questioned her in regards to the style, it's not Vedic and she chose a different style of meditation. Why did you choose Vedic meditation? What was in it for you?
1: So – when I first started to like be open to meditation, I dabbled with the apps a little bit. Yeah. And I really struggle with people the people's voices guiding me, to me. I was Like it's like ah, oh. and I never felt like the app's really doing much for me. I was like I'd sit there and have someone's voice guide me and I'd be like, Am I supposed to be doing this right now? And they'd be like, Can you know, and clear your thoughts of the day and blah, blah. And I'm like, Fuck how? I'm not doing it. Like what? and I'd get frustrated mm. and it just it just wasn't I was sitting there going, is this what meditation is? It doesn't feel really to be working for me. And then, you know, I remember at the end of yoga sometimes, the yoga teacher would tell you again, like, empty your mind and just be here. And I'd be like.
0: Staring through the other girl's leggings <laughs> instead of being mindful. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, and, um, and I was just, that'd make it harder. I was like, I'm not, you mean here? Like, mm-hmm. is anyone else empty right now? Because I'm not. And it'd get, me, it'd get me frustrated and I was like, well, this is what meditation is, nah. And I just struggled with it. And so then I learned that Vedic using a mantra was slightly different. And the beauty of the the Vedic type is because also I'm quite an independent person. I don't want to be plugged into an app and be reliant on having someone guide me or go to a class every time I want to meditate. And just like anything, consistency is when you see results, Right. And the idea that I could learn to meditate and become self-sufficient, never, ever have to be guided or taught ever again, that was, I was like, oh, there's something in this. And when I learned that this technique was not about clearing your mind, emptying your thoughts, I was like, ah. Oh. And these things started to make it a lot easier for me. And so then practicing the Vedic uh, method using a mantra at first, it was really unusual and uncomfortable. I was like, oh, I, I'm sort of – I think – I'm thinking a bit and I'm with the mantra and it's quite uncomfortable. And then sometimes I'd like almost disappear into these weird sleepy kind of states. Sometimes I'd like disappear and come back and it was everything. And I was like, what is going on here? And the, the key here was that the meditations themselves, like even now, what's almost eight, eight or nine years down the track, I still have meditations. I sit there and think half the time. But What changes is how I operate throughout the day. So I've – worry less about how good I'm at meditation, but it's how good I am at life. And my experience of life has absolutely transformed just by sticking to doing this practice every day, regardless of whether I'm feeling great or feeling terrible or motivated or unmotivated. I just do it as just like, I wouldn't leave the house without brushing my teeth. I won't leave the house without meditating. It's become that standard.
0: So if we summarize it for people at home that haven't ever had any experience with Vedic meditation, mm-hmm. uh essentially it's without <laughs> you correct me if I'm wrong. You're like mm-hmm. this is like a quiz in regards to how well yes, I have been. Learned. So it's ideally one per day is 70%, twice per day is <laughs>
1: Once is thirty. There you go. <laughs> twice is the extra seventy.
0: So if you if you meditate
1: <laughs> no, clearly, I didn't listen. <laughs> you just got it upside down. You're close.
0: Yeah. So if you meditate once per day in the morning, you get thirty percent benefit. If you do it twice per day, it's seventy percent benefit. And so it's twenty minutes per time, or you can do ten minutes per time with a two minute um like a debrief, I guess, afterwards. And in regards to this meditation. You don't need music. You don't need anything except yourself. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is that learning to do this, I do this the first thing upon waking. So Mm -hmm. if my kids come into the bedroom and they see that I'm meditating, although they give me so much shit about it, they think that I look like an alien and my eyes are all flickering. Um, The girls (laughs) Thanks. The girls will just come in and they'll hop into bed with me. They'll never interrupt me or they'll come and sit with me and lay with me. Mm. And I think that's really beautiful in itself is teaching them that that's what I do each morning and that's how I'm meditating. So essentially during that 20 minute cycle is the mantra that you are given is specific to you based on your age, gender, a whole bunch of different things. So my mantra will be different to the next person.
1: So there's 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 different sets of mantras and... You might have the same – everyone doesn't have their own mantras. So mm-hmm. There are sets. Mm-hmm. And you might have the same mantra as some people. Mm-hmm. You have absolutely different mantra to other people and you have, you know, your mantra might be kind of similarish but different, you know, to others again. So – and this is also a lot of – there's also a bit of joke around why you keep it to yourself.
0: So – Yeah. So for those listening at home, you can't ever tell anybody what your mantra is. So it was funny because someone asked me and I was like, I can't tell you. They were like, (laughs) okay, like thinking that I was just being really secretive. But that's a big key part of Vedic meditation is not telling anybody what your mantra
1: is. So the, the reason behind that is because the way this technique works is it's based on using the mantra as a just as a sound vibration. Not, there's any, not, it's not an affirmation. So we get confused with affirmations and mantras. So affirmation is like, I am strong and powerful, for example, right? The mantra in this um, use is just a sound vibration. It's a Sanskrit sound, which has no meaning. And what that does is it gets us out of that left brain, analytical, active, doing, thinking, because if we had a affirmation, like, okay, how can I be more loving and powerful? What does loving and powerful look like? And we, we're active and doing again and again and again. Now, when we are working with the mantra, you know, sound vibration, and this is based off thousands and thousands of years of, of philosophy and, and, and science, that, um, like, traditionally, they would use sound to heal certain parts of the body, right? Vibration, they're even using it now with ultrasound, mm. like, it's, it's where we're heading that direction, sound bowl healing, it's there. You know, you look at somatics, and so the the power of the this sound vibration that you just whisper inside your mind what it does is it engages the mind to the point where just for a moment in time your mind stops doing so you're not trying to solve anything fix anything and whether that's for like a few seconds or a few minutes and when you're just there and you're just saying that mantra 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 and the mind goes beyond so it's a transcendent style so transcend means to go beyond you go beyond the relative thinking it might be for five seconds just for five seconds you're just saying the mantra and that's it And when the mind does that, the body responds and it's like, the body's almost like, oh, we're not doing for a moment. We're just being. And the body can use its natural intelligence when it de-excites, the nervous system de-excites and everything comes to a moment of deeper rest. And The body can do what it knows how to do best, which is repair, heal, process.
0: Isn't meditation for 20 minutes equivalent to a certain amount of sleep? What yeah, was that so in stat? this style,
1: if you do 20 minutes of meditation in this style, yeah. um, it can be equivalent up to one to two hours of deep rest, of nap, like an afternoon nap. Which So I use it in the afternoons as my afternoon one. It's like a power charge instead of having a coffee or having a groggy nap. It's like my recharge as well, which is really cool.
0: I don't want to stuff up here and say my mantra. So can you give us an example of what a mantra would be so that people can associate that with what you're referring to.
1: So I'll just use the most common mantra out mm-hmm. there, which is Om. Um. Om. Um. Um, yeah. And there are lots of different iterations of mantras. So um, that's probably the most common one that people would know of.
0: And when when you have your mantra, it's kind of, I remember my biggest fear is that I was going to forget it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? And I was like, but I'm going to forget it. It's and you're common. like, you'll text me. You're not going to forget it. And I was like, I'm going to forget it. I've never forgot it. Right. Not once have I been like, what's mm-hmm. my mantra? And I think that obviously you say it, over and over and over, that you will never forget it. But also what I have noticed personally is that it has changed so much. It does. And when I am meditating now, I almost feel it more than I hear it, if that even makes sense. Yes, it does. Mm. Um, Which I found really interesting. So in regards to the benefits that we were just talking (laughs) about, so instead of having a nap in the afternoon, you would meditate and you would suggest meditating.
1: Always, yeah. Yeah. You don't – I – napping for me, it was a grog. I'd feel groggy if I tried to nap in the – I was a bad napper anyway. And so for me, this – it's also more efficient. If you can, you know, do a 10 to 20-minute meditation in the front seat of your car, you know, go on the park bench in your office, put on headphones and glasses, whatever, like you just – and close your eyes – your, it's a really, really efficient way to recharge your brain and nervous system as well, as opposed to having to go find somewhere to lie down or have a kip.
0: And other than the benefits that you've mentioned about them being more productive in your own life, have you seen any crazy benefits within people that you've taught previously or um, that you've experienced yourself?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest shifts for me, one of them was really around my level of awareness Mm. around how I operate, the things that trigger me how I respond to situations, how I treat people, some of the, the chat that goes on in my mind and what causes that and how I can shift it. And that has been absolutely huge. It's transformed my relationships with my family, you know, good friends, a huge, huge level of judgment has is in my judgment of others and acceptance of others and myself and, and ability to love myself more holistically, which has been a huge one. Uh, and that there you know, you can't change what you can't see. Mm. And the more you start peeling back the layers and like, oh, I didn't realise that when this person says this to me, I get really angry, wonder why that is, as opposed to stimulus react. So mm-hmm. I'm get, it's almost like a little, I've been built, there's like an inbuilt filtering system. So someone says something, I see something, it goes through a little filter and instead of going blur, and then going, why did I have to say that? It's like pause, stimulus pause, process, process, respond, as opposed to just react. So that's been one of the biggest shifts for me. Uh, probably one of the most common things that people, obviously myself as well, that people say that that changes for them is anxiety kind of just really, really softens or for a lot of people just becomes non-existent. Uh, and when it does come up, they're a lot more able to move through it quicker and and easier, uh, and that comes from, again, really consistent practice and Know sleep like I'm an amazing sleeper, <laughs> which is great. Uh, and so, also like levels of creativity for a lot of people start shifting. That's mine. That's yep. my biggest one. Yeah, like just you have these ideas start popping up because you're what you're doing is you're removing the barriers to an expanded mind expanded view of the world, you can call it performance. Performance could mean how engaged and loving you are with your partner to how focused you are at work, that, how to how heavy you can lift at the gym. That's all different levels of performance. And the main barriers to us being at our A game are stress, tension and fatigue. And these are the things that meditation is removing out of the, the body. So it's literally removing the barriers to you uh, up-leveling, which is really, really cool. But also that up-leveling will be different. For everyone.
0: Yeah. You mentioned before in regards to meditating when you first um, became aware of it, that you didn't think that you'd be able to clear your mind with all the thoughts. (laughs) And I know that that's probably the most common thing that women especially would feel with meditating is that I know that for me, when I was trying during our first course, I could not clear my mind. Mm. And the thing with Vedic meditation is that you are saying this mantra silently inside your mind over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And thoughts definitely do come in. Yeah. And it's about acknowledging them, but letting them go. Is that how you would explain that?
1: Yeah. So the ideal state during this meditation is to just be in an effortless flow between the thoughts. And you've got the mantras like your little anchor, right? So you always you can move back to you know, the mantra. So you're like mantra, mantra, and you go, you start thinking about, oh, I've got a big day tomorrow, I've got a big meeting, blah, blah, this and that. You're like, oh, then you realize you're thinking, smile, move back to the mantra. You go mantra, mantra, mantra. You start thinking about remember when I was sixteen, I had my heart broken and blah, blah, blah. You're <laughs> like, oh, where, where'd this come from? And then you smile back to the mantra. And when you're able to just effortlessly move between this state of flow and not be worried about the thoughts, because they're the it'd be like trying to tell your heart to stop beating. Mm. You're always gonna be thinking to some extent. And the the state you wanna be in is just this total state of just effortless natural flow between the mantra and then you'll think for a bit, and then the mantra, and then you might fall asleep for a bit, you might come out of that, and then you're the mantra again, and then you might totally disappear and transcend and time flies. Um, that's a totally different state uh, again, but all of them are valid because a lot of people think that the state they need to get to is a state of bliss and thoughtlessness. Mm. Look, if you're a monk, maybe that's possible. We're not monks. Like, and this is the problem where a lot of people are regurgitating what they've heard monks or ancient yogis say and teach. Now, these were techniques that were used and taught years ago by people living a very different Life lifestyle to us, <laughs> right? And that's mm. not realistic. And mm. so to tell someone to sit there and you know, clear mind of the day and <laughs> rah, 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 <laughs> everyone's really <laughs> sitting going, fuck off, mate. That's <laughs> what I was thinking.
0: Three kids at home crying yeah. and job and, yeah.
1: Right. Um, and so it's, it's just – and thoughts are actually a valid part of the practice. Mm. So – Thoughts are, you know, I've touched on before how this meditation technique is helping the body to remove or launder or process stress, tension, and fatigue. When we're releasing stress out of the body, we have to feel it. And this is where the issue comes for a lot of us is we've learned to numb Mm. or escape. And this is also a lot of people find meditation uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. They're like, Mm. no, it's not for me. Because for the first time they're sitting there just being and having to feel what it feels like to be them and allow some of these thoughts to come up. And when they sit there and your body starts, you know, your body, your nervous system de-excites, so it moves out of survival mode. When it's out of survival mode, it can go to repairing the deeper stuff.
0: When you talk about feeling and feeling your emotions, mm. I know that um, obviously I know what your work is and, and that probably gives me a better insight. You mention a body scan. Mm. Do you? Can you talk us through that process and do you find that that's um, – helpful for men, particularly? And do you think that men are more resistant to meditating and this kind of work?
1: Yeah. So the, the power of doing a body scan is we spend most of our time from a head up, mm-hmm. men and women, but particularly men as it's masculine trait to be problem solving analytical that's, and, and in a very masculine driven society and also in, in terms of work, a lot of us find ourselves in that state. So we're literally from the head up. Mm. Think, 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 solve, solve, solve issues, blah, blah. That's how we operate so we get through life. Mm. And unfortunately, we can't think our way through healing. It's not how it works. You've got to feel stuff. Mm. And so what the the power of doing body scans and getting back into the body is allowing yourself to feel, right? The only way for you to properly heal and let go of and process it's tension or some trauma that you're that you're holding on to is allowing yourself to feel it and to mm-hmm. know that you are safe to do so. Mm-hmm. And most of us are very good at numbing by booze or sex or social media or being busy, mm-hmm. too busy to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so we, we keep it in our in our system. And this is our nervous system that is accumulating and accumulating, accumulating stress, tension, and fatigue to the point where it manifests into addictive behaviors, anger, anxiety, panic attacks, whatever you want to call it. And so I would say definitely men are more resistant to the the feeling component and mm. it's also unusual. Mm. They're like – like they sit down and it's like, oh, oh, this feels uncomfortable just to be here and, and feel this. And when you start allowing – the idea of a body scan is that you move from you – I know, you can move from toe to head or, or head – I tend to go like to go from head to toe and you'll scan, you know, down through the body. And what you'll just notice, if there's any areas in your body that you're feeling tension or pressure, so you might be like, oh, my shoulders are feeling really tight right now. And just allow yourself to feel that, Mm. breathe into it. And you move down and you're like, maybe my chest is really like, oh, I feel a lot of stuff going on my chest right now. Maybe you're like, I feel a bit sick in the stomach, you know. And the power here is to practice because you'll feel that. And then what naturally happens is we go to story. Mm-hmm. This is probably because X, Y, Z, and then this means this, and this is because my boss is a prick and then blah, blah, and then I'm probably going to get fired and, and we, we go mm-hmm. and we recycle stress. And the other problem is, is that we can't tell the difference between an, the actual experience and the story in our minds. Mm-hmm. So we're five times in that stress by telling the stories again and adding more in. Mm-hmm. If we're more in, in touch with our bodies, we can uh, notice that thought running off and go back to that part of the body again. Okay, cool. Let's move back to the chest and breathe in and feel that tension or into the, in the stomach or wherever it is. And when we can start becoming more in tune with our bodies, Mm. this becomes really powerful. You want to master yourself, your body and mind. They're not even connected. They're one. Mm. Everything that happens in the mind has a corresponding, you know, response in the body and and vice versa. You can't just live in, in one. Mm. And so it's really, really, really powerful to practice getting used to the concept of feeling.
0: Mm.
1: And even with like you know, the concept of anxiety, something happens and you start feeling, you know, whether it's the, the gut in the stomach or mm. the headache or whatever it is, you tell yourself, I'm anxious. What happens then? But he goes, oh, I'm anxious. Let's throw all the anxiety symptoms into gear. And so you're, mm-hmm. you're almost, you've already told yourself that and so everything happens. Mm. Shift to, oh, I've got this tightness in my chest, feeling a bit so-and-so in my stomach there's no identity to anxiety there. It's just like this is a, a sensation I'm feeling. A feeling. Mm-hmm. That means I'm a human being to be alive. Mm-hmm. And if you can accept it and breathe into it, and it actually, you'll find that it'll actually dissipate. Mm. And by feeling it, you actually allow it to move through the body Rather and than out. As, a, as opposed to storing it. So mm-hmm. it's beyond powerful to even practice something so simple as, as a body scan. And yes, men are uh, more resistant, um, but even women these days, like, busy, mums, careers, blah, blah, you know, not don't have time to look after yourself. Mm. And so even that's often becoming um, quite difficult and there's a resistance around that as well.
0: Most of my audience are females. And for those that are listening that perhaps are partners that they're, they see their husband as constantly stressed or living in anxiety or could benefit from meditation, how would you encourage them to be able to... I don't know, Learn to practice meditation or find your online courses or how does that even look from a, for a woman's perspective to be able to help their partners when most men are so closed off to anything a little bit woo-woo?
1: Mm. Well, the, the, the first thing is you, as soon as you start projecting onto and, and forcing and, and telling a man what to do <laughs> in that sense, it's going to be rejected most, most of the time, not always. Please. The biggest thing is you just do your thing, practice it. And I would encourage a level of healthy inquiry like, oh, this is, you know, share this is what I'm doing. And this is what it's changing for me. I'm feeling this. Mm. And they'll start picking up on how you change as well. Mm. Like that One of the biggest things that I've noticed is, you know, flipping the other way around, is, you know, mum, for example, totally not open. Mm. She learned to meditate because she saw how I changed. Yeah. Little brother learned to meditate. He's my best male friends just saw how I started to change. They're like, oh.
0: What are you doing? Yeah, mm. what, what's
1: going on here? Mm. And that was enough. When they asked, I'd be like, oh, this they knew what I was doing, but I'd never, ever preach or project onto them because as soon as that happens, we feel like we're being judged. Like a, you know, We carry enough shame as it is mm. as human beings in general, but particularly as men. Mm. And so another thing to be attacked on, shame. The second we feel shame or guilt, wall we'll comes up, see you later. Mm. Um, and we'll even go against that just because, mm. so it'd be, and you know, if there was, the conversation would be better started, uh, around, you know, this is, you know, what is helping me experience and it's done this for me and blah, blah, and this and that. And, and just let him like dangle a little carrot there. But if, as soon as you start forcing, that's what the biggest mistake, how can I make them do this? How can I get them to do this? And it's mm-hmm. like, y- you can't, uh, you can, you know. Maybe say, so, oh, you should check out this guy, or mm-hmm. have a look at this, and and that might break down a, a barrier uh, for them. Or look at this, you know, notice that the um, you know,
0: he's you, not that woo woo. Look at him. Yeah.
1: <laughs> notice that you know um, the City Swans brought it in like two thousand and seven, and did they? You know, yeah, they want to. They brought in um, meditation. Paul Ruse and his wife Tammy brought in meditation like years ago, and they become one of the most consistent teams going around the um. NBA, oh, if the
0: footballers are doing it. Must be good. Right, NBA,
1: <laughs> NBA players, Chicago Bulls. Phil Jackson brought it in when he was back at the Bulls. <laughs> Seattle Seahawk, like Ariana Huffington. You know, um, Ray Dalio, who's the owner of uh, what's it, I think Bridgewater, the biggest hedge fund in the world. Like high performers mm. are doing this stuff.
0: Mm.
1: Get them to look at that sort of thing um, as opposed to pushing it on from from you.
0: Over the past year, so many businesses have had to change their model and their Mm. face-to-face and everything else when it comes to teaching. Have you pivoted to being online and teaching online and how are you finding that?
1: Yeah, so it was a real catalyst. So prior to the current situation we're living in, I was 100% in person Mm. and I was just doing my thing and it was fine but I was always like, oh, I really should get online, <laughs> but I never did it. Cause I was like, oh yeah, I'll do it next time. I'll do it next time. And then literally it was on my mind for probably about a year going, shifting online so I could reach more people and, uh, you know, evolve a little bit what I, what I teach. And then I think it was actually two weeks into the first lockdown right at the beginning, mm. I was like, fuck it. And I turned it around in like two weeks. Mm. I've been thinking about it for 12 months. Mm -hmm. I I had a bit of a fire at my ass to make it happen because it was how I was meant to survive. And I shifted to online. And and while, you know, you can't replicate in person like Mm. this, Mm. it means you can reach so many more people. Yeah. And, you know, you can argue that there is, you know, the digital world and technology are causing some issues, but it's also opening a lot of doors. Yeah. And so, you know, now it's allowed me to teach people from – South Africa to, Mm. you know, Texas to Holland, you know, and it's amazing you can reach people around the world. And one of my highest values is freedom. Mm. Mine too, baby. There we go. (laughs) We know
0: this. (laughs) We know. (laughs) I run at the side of being trapped. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And so I can fundamentally work from anywhere, like as long as I have a computer with me.
0: So if those listening at home do want to learn how to do Vedic meditation with yourself, what is the best uh, pathway or course that you're offering in regards to that?
1: So there are uh, there are two options. Well, there's probably three. <laughs> <laughs> or four. <laughs> oh, well, there's probably about seven or eight. If <laughs> to... um, so I do have a an introductory, like a pre-recorded version, which you can just learn in your own time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's quite an easy, like it's my brand is Maverick Meditation. So it's all around freeing the mind and shifting the way you view the world. And that's there as like the, the dip the toe in the water basic um, thing. Then I also teach the uh, full mantra. So that there's no ceremony in that. That's just yeah. a bit more basic. Then I have like my three-day um, course, which you get the full mantra in that process, which I now am starting to offer and trialing offering online as well. So there yeah, was a lot cool. of resistance to me for that for a long yeah. time. There's a lot of purists and a lot of, and I'll probably get smacked around for saying this that, you know, it was only to be taught in person. And and while I respect the you know, the tradition and and the, the teachers. Times have changed, yeah. And if you're only allowing people that can get to in person, who can afford to fly to you or whatever it is, it cuts out too many people. Um, so now I'm going to start offering that online. How beautiful! First, Do gonna, you have
0: like an intake date for that? Because that's that's amazing. Yeah, I love that. Literally <laughs> my first
1: first one end of um, end of November. Oh, there November you go. is be Okay, first, beautiful. First intake for that. Um, that style of course, which I'm actually really excited about. Yeah, be cool. Um, so they're the two main things, but meditation-wise, and then obviously I do one-on-one coaching, which goes a bit deeper. But does yeah, everybody still
0: get their own individual mantra for that? Yep. Yeah, cool. It's that same
1: process, just purely behind a computer screen. Yeah, cool. um, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's cool.
0: So, if those listening at home want to get in touch with you or find you, where are your handles? What's your website? Tell everyone everything.
1: <laughs> the easiest is actually probably not the easiest because you've got to spell my name.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> so shit. Uh,
1: yeah. so It's worse than mine. I'm right. Actual. <laughs> Janelle Van Keekum. Mm. Spell that. Um, I want you to do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> chalk. Yeah. So, I mean, Instagram is where I'm normally most active. Uh, Instagram, which is Janelle Van Keekum, or. you got to spell
0: it. I wasn't joking. Oh, I do? Okay.
1: Yeah. J-A-N-O-A-H-V-A-N-K-E-K-E-M for Mary.
0: There you <laughs> go, guys.
1: Or <laughs> just website, is Mind Maverick.
0: Mind Maverick. Now, I always end every episode with bookworm and my book that I'm reading this week is You're Not Broken by Dr. Sarah Woodhouse. Do you have a favourite book or a book suggestion that you'd like listeners to go and grab?
1: Yeah, so... I mean, probably one of the most exciting books I've, I've read probably isn't the greatest recommendation, the (laughs) Mahabharata is like a huge book based on uh, a Vedic philosophy and an ancient war, but it's an amazing book, but probably one of the more profound books that I recommend people having a look at reading and particularly currently in terms of helping you feel a lot more in alignment and connected is a book called Lost Connections by Johan Hari. It's amazing. And I truly believe that if you can master or at least get a handle on the components of connection, so to self, to others, to values, to meaningful work, if you can start understanding and creating alignment with those things, your life's going to shift. So I think it's a really, really powerful baseline book to read.
0: Mm. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today. What I'll do is I'll post all of your website and details in our closed Facebook group, which is just Flourish and Fulfilled and over on Instagram, which is Flourish and Fulfilled as well. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the good chat.